0: This is a journey this this is a journey into sound
1: And we are back. For another, other, other episode of the Humankind Podcast, my name is Vidal Marsh. I am black.
0: And my name is Megan Perry, and I am white. And uh, so this is an interesting episode, Vidal.
1: We had a bit of a... Would you call it a snafu? I won't call it a snafu. We, We are working professional people producing a podcast on the fly. We are probably five or six projects individually deep along with our collectivity, (laughs) our collective production on this podcast. You know, we had a guest snafu, the only guest snafu of the entire season. Yeah. And we had to make a kind of a production on the run decision. It was a quick change. Uh, The quick change involved one of us becoming uh, a guest Mm -hmm. on this podcast and we'll wait. A little bit later to reveal who which one of us was the guest on this. Dun dun dun. Yeah. But uh thinking about some things that we have had in discussions and I know it's come up in our own production, kind of the accountability of our own production and making these podcasts. We had a I think with episode episode six yes. with Carrie and Hiram. Yes. We uh made a mistake or we're acknowledging an opportunity to have done something a little bit better on our end mm-hmm. um and Carrie uh, in her school wanted to talk about that jewish oh, horns right
0: so so, scenario. so, so interestingly <clears throat> we're we're taking in all of your your questions comments etc yep. and we're trying to make the podcast as is as, as good as it possibly can be and it was brought to our attention by somebody close to the podcast
1: our production partner
0: our, our producing partner that um, we missed an opportunity with the Carrie and Hiran episode. If you'll recall, Carrie was a white Jewish woman from Kansas. And Hiran is Korean and uh, new to the country by about five years. And it was brought to our attention that we did not...
1: say so know that, our annotations.
0: In our annotations, we did not acknowledge that Carrie had said that her mother had had an experience where when she got to college, her roommate asked her where her horns were because she was Jewish.
1: Meaning... Yeah. yeah.
0: Right. So, and I think sometimes when we talk about race, there are some things that are just so preposterous, you know, to us that they even come, um, you know, I heard that and I thought, well, of course that's silly. you know, everybody knows that Jewish people don't have horns. That's crazy, but that's wrong. That is not, that is not true. Not everybody knows that. And so just, just as a point of reference, there is a myth, there is a rumor possibly dating all the way back to a mispronunciation of a word in the bible mm. um stating that moses had horns that is not what the bible says but as it's been interpreted over the years some people believe that so that is clearly not true and in fact you know as as humans i would say sort of laughable that seems well silly. you're
1: married to a jewish man yes and you are raising your son in the Jewish faith?
0: Uh, half in, in the He's Jewish dabbling. traditions. He's in the the dabbling tradition. in the traditions. I wouldn't say the faith. I okay. would say the
1: traditions. He's yeah. dabbling in the traditions. Okay. We are all trying to be accountable in America to a thousand rights. Mm. And one of the things I've been talking about in this podcast series and some of the things I've been hearing and the comments I've been hearing And I've had a conversation today actually with a good friend of mine who listens faithfully. The conversation is the scaredness of having racial conversations, the the fear of being wrong or the fear of being taken to task for your words, actions, or deeds. Yes. And that not being a comfortable space for people to go to. Yes. Makes me uncomfortable. Right. Because the whole point of Really, becoming vulnerable in this space is to allow each other to fail miserably. Absolutely,
0: and that actually brings us to another point that someone made about that particular episode, which was there was another. There was another.
1: We're talking about the Carrie and Hiron episode, one hundred and episode, episode six. Yes.
0: Yes. So Hiron had made a oh yeah a statement where she had said, "I had to Google why can you not touch African Americans' hair." And then I kind of came in and kind of gave my opinion. Common sense. Common sense opinion right. on, on why that's not What okay. we do
1: with the annotations, they're fun, lighthearted, a different discourse from. Right. But with a little historical and factual perspective.
0: Right. And it was pointed out to me that I sounded very angry when <laughs> I made that yeah. uh, annotation. Okay. And so to that point, there there may be an apology needed to Hiran that I was not mad at hyron for asking that question not in at fact all. i think that awesome. question should be asked and googled and i i 100% am sorry if anyone felt that i was uh yeah. attacking her in particular <clears throat> and in fact if you heard any anger in my voice or if you heard any frustration in my voice it was simply because i have lived in this country for a long time and i you know i have personal views about why someone would do that or just the my opinion on it. So that was not aimed at Hiron at all. I think everyone should ask that question if they're interested in that question. And I think that everyone should Google it. And I think everyone should find out the answer. And my particular frustration with that question is definitely uh, personal and not anybody else's problem.
1: No, I don't. I, yeah, I didn't think it sounded that way. I'm, as As your partner in crime on this podcast, Again, we are doing our very best and yep. opening up the space yep. for people to have conversations, not just here in our podcast space, but in your own families, in your own communities, homes, schools, places of business, mm-hmm. even cars at lunch. Talk, talk, yep. talk. And that's what we're going to do right now with this great podcast we have coming up with this special guest and our man, James, who came back. We're going to get this podcast going right now.
0: Yep, this is The Humankind, and it starts right now.
2: My name is James Mathis III. I'm an actor, and I am African-American, or black, or brown, or one of those non-white races.
0: My name is Megan Perry. I am an actor and a producer webcast producer i am one half of allegory media that produces this podcast and i am white
2: my biggest fear when talking about race is that people won't engage in actual conversation i think people arrive at the moment of conversation with all of their preconceived notions and it's important for them to be able to engage and if all they do is show up with their opinions and don't allow other opinions to infiltrate, then there's really no progress. So that's probably the toughest thing, I think.
0: It's kind of like the Facebook comment thread when you post something and no one asks any questions, they just immediately rattle off their opinion.
2: Right, right. Yeah, I think in that case, I think sometimes people shy away from the public discourse. You know, I I think people don't want to be wrong publicly because there's a lot of shaming in today's society if, if, if you're wrong or even if you're different. You know and, and so i think people are very careful about how they introduce their feelings and i think in order for there to be a true dialogue we we all have to feel comfortable in the exchange of, of our feelings and thoughts
0: that's i think that's a great point i think that's a fantastic point i think that my biggest fear when talking about race and i've stated it before many many places but that I will have a conversation with someone about race and a new idea or a new truth or a new perspective will be introduced to me and I won't understand it within the conversation. It'll take me a couple days to process that truth through my own set of experiences. So I always use the example as I was talking to two friends of mine at a wedding that you and I probably both yeah. attended <laughs> or an event that both you and I both attended and just, just so the the audience knows James and I have known each other for a very long time indeed and we met probably 20 years ago uh, yeah I so would that's, say the, that's well. this is not two strangers which I think actually can make for interesting conversations so an example of that would be I had a conversation about Gone with the Wind mm-hmm. with two friends at a, an event and I would just seen it for the first time in my early 20s mm and the african american characters were brought to my attention within the conversation of how can you watch that mm-hmm. right and my first thought in all honesty was like well women aren't portrayed particularly well in the movie people aren't portrayed pretty- it's not it's it is a it is historically something that i'm watching understanding the historical content of this is not something that portrays anybody's life realistically. Hi, this is Megan and I'm jumping in to talk a little bit about Gone with the Wind, uh, which is ostensibly one of the foremost American classics. And it's interesting because Gone with the Wind is often criticized as perpetuating civil war myths about black people and black stereotypes, which I will say my opinion is that it does. Interestingly, David Reynolds, who's a, a British historian, writes that the white women are elegant, their menfolk noble, or at least dashing, and in the background, the black slaves are mostly dutiful and content, clearly incapable of an independent existence. Slaves were not content, and to portray them as such does black people an injustice, and it always will, and the images of black people in Gone with the Wind are devastating. And they're not true. So if you're going to watch Gone with the Wind, keep that in mind. Okay, back to our podcast. Right, so James is giving me a look. But- <laughs> exactly. So, so, so that's what I mean is that I'm having the conversation. And within the conversation, I'm trying to process the conversation. Mm-hmm. Maybe three weeks later, I'm watching Bamboozled and finished bamboozled and I am um, I understood I understood the concept of what this prior conversation was about but until I felt it right. and understood it completely I then made a few phone calls and went oh my god I am I totally get it and I I that's mm. not I holy right. sh- shit this is not at all what I right I got it mm. I got it so I think my biggest fear is that you know Somebody that I know of, a, of another race and I will be having a conversation, things will be introduced to me that I won't fully comprehend until later and that's fine.
2: I agree. I, I think that's fine as well.
0: But it makes the conversation in the moment, I think, harder. I, w- I wish I was quicker on the uptake sometimes.
2: You know, I, I think we all could stand to do some research after our conversations even if it's emotional research to understand factually the events that might have led to the emotional response from the person that you're communicating with absolutely and so to that end i don't think the initial conversation should end with a period maybe there's a semicolon
0: i think that's it maybe I think there's a it.
2: comma you know if if, if you're uh, being introduced new information especially so yeah. you know it's okay let me Take a moment and, and process this, which is what you did. And that's and that's responsible. You know, and this is how this is how we all should be. You right. Know? It sounds like you didn't rush to judgment in uh in, in celebrating those things and gone with the wind that people of color had, had trouble with. You just took time to hear what they had to say, yep. and then later on you processed it and, and, and were able to bring that back to them.
0: Yes. You know,
2: you were able to bring that back to them and take it with you. You right. know, this 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 new perspective.
0: But I also think that's We've we've talked so much or I've had so many conversations lately just about education. Mm-hmm. The the idea that it's not like it's not it's not people of colors it's not the responsibility to educate people like me right. about the history of the country, right?
2: That is true.
0: And so
2: Because then it becomes defensive.
0: Right. You know, and right. and,
2: and, and if you live your life defensively.
0: Yeah. Yeah, right. It's just a
2: bad way to be. Absolutely. It's just a bad way to be. And and so rather than just being, and and I think the the default for life is the white man. Right. You know, he is the the default. And if you want anything else, it becomes a descriptive. You can have a black man, a brown man, an Asian man. But it all starts with the default of of the white man.
0: So that's interesting. I've been having a lot of conversations with people after Star Wars. Mm Mm-hmm about representation in film and Vidal my friend Vidal who is also a producer of this podcast you know, I talked recently about bias he was asking me to, to name my top five favorite actors and so as I'm naming them off and you know you ask anybody in the entertainment industry right. like their top five right. everybody I'm sure including yourself is going to be like can I get ten
2: mm-hmm, right, right. Um, <laughs> of course of course
0: my top five were decidedly women and decidedly white mm-hmm. right and that in thinking about it is because I am a white woman who wants to relate on screen, mm-hmm. right? So if I see a Lucille Ball right. I go, I want that. that is that is genius, and i want I want that. Mm-hmm. And I can do that because I am looking at somebody who looks like me on screen doing it. She might be one of a few, but she I can that I can do.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so after seeing Star Wars, I was thinking like, Personally, I think it's so important for every kid to see that, Yeah. right? And you've got two kids.
2: I do. I do.
0: How do you feel about representation on screen, being an actor, and with your kids, too?
2: I still feel like the African-American community is underrepresented and misrepresented in, uh, in our art. You talk about... Uh, people's perception of other races when you don't have experiences with them you you often turn to what you see and you see the art and so in the early days of art the proliferation of negative stereotypes right for any race that wasn't the white race you right. know the blacks had, had you know had, had the big red lips and then you know people were doing blackface and even the asian characters were mocked
1: mm-hmm.
2: you know it's just uh, it's, it's problematic it's problematic because art is supposed to imitate life right you know and i think oftentimes we get caught in the trap of of it being the other way around it just it just be uh, becomes a an endless cycle until you introduce other races until you start telling other stories you mentioned gone with the wind gone with the wind would not have been a hit in my neighborhood it just wouldn't have been sure you know if there was a a, a drive-in movie theater it probably would have never played Right, and as you said about the relatability of of Lucille Ball, we just uh, African Americans didn't really relate to that. Right, you know who is this? Who come on? You know who's this guy? I've seen cooler guys in this. My uncle's cooler than Humphrey Bogart. You know, so what? Why is he this big movie star with a with a big head? Right, you know. (laughs) People don't talk about how big his head was.
0: He's a giant head. Massive. I know. I often think to myself if my head were bigger, maybe I'd be a movie star. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah.
2: All of them. You look at the old films little people, big heads. Right. Thank it's you. true.
0: Yeah. I, I would agree with that. Mm hmm. This is Megan, and I'm just jumping in to let you know that you can find us at www.humankindpodcast.com. There you can find links to our social media accounts, and if you're so inclined, you can donate to this podcast, or you can contact us to become a sponsor. Also remember to subscribe on iTunes and comment. Now back to our conversation. Cowboys. Yes. I was in
2: a conversation with uh, a friend of mine recently who enlightened me on some history uh, with respect to cowboys Mm
0: -hmm.
2: on TV, they were glorified.
0: Right. It
2: was what you wanted to be. You wanted to pull up on your horseback. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you wanted to step off that sucker and have everyone look at you and say, I wanna be that. I wanna be a cowboy.
0: Right.
2: Didn't see very many black cowboys though. No. Although there were
0: Bass. many,
2: many black cowboys. Yes. And it's not like it was a, a glorified position to have either. It was Similar to uh, any blue-collar, you know,
1: blue-collar position. But they made it look like this very heroic thing.
0: Right, right.
1: Sure, absolutely. Hey, this is Vidal, Humankind podcast co-host, jumping in to kind of give you guys a little follow-up to Bass Reeves and the excellence that he was as one of the first Black deputy U.S. Marshals west of the Mississippi River, working mostly in Arkansas and Oklahoma Territory during Mr. Bass Reeves' long career, he was credited with arresting over three thousand felons, shot and killed fourteen laws op- in self-defense. Uh, the reason why Bass Reeves was so important—he did this in the eighteen hundreds. Mr. Reeves passed away in nineteen ten in my father's hometown of Muskogee, Oklahoma. How's that, Black Cowboys? Black Cowboys. Now back to our podcast.
0: That's interesting too, because in the media or in entertainment, you can glorify whatever you want to glorify. Right. And I think it, you know, I've just been thinking a lot on my own about opportunity Mm -hmm. and the stories that I'd like to tell and making room in those stories for everybody Mm -hmm. in terms of who to glorify and who not to. Right. And so, anyway, I'm just interested. I was just interested in your perspective as an actor.
2: Uh, Within that, that I'd I'd have to uh, further that by saying there's even glorification of of race. You know when it's the black movie time. And and there was a a decidedly black movie time, just like there was a decidedly Latino movie time. Mm -hmm. You know, J-Lo didn't just... Spring up overnight. She, you know, we were introduced. We had Selena, right? You know, it was it was a, a string of movies that were introducing us to the Latin culture,
0: right? That you start seeing Latin heroes, that yeah. you start seeing, yeah. right? But
2: I don't think it was because a Latin executive, rose his hand one day and said, "It's time for us to do our movies." Right? I don't think so. No. You know, and 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 that leads to who again is the puppeteer? Who is pulling the strings and manipulating? the opinions, because you have to see it as some form of manipulation. If sure. you have the ability to control what we see, then, you know, it's not necessarily horrible to say manipulating, but it is some form of manipulation.
0: Oh, I would agree wholeheartedly. Control, yeah, But I also think that you can't, you can't responsibly at this point, you know, this whole idea of like, I just hire my friends, or I just like working with who I like working with. And mm. I mean- it's safe to say that, you know, you and, you and I worked with a group of people that were very insular for a very long time. Yes. But interestingly, with that, I think, I don't, I don't even think there were, in, in that, I'm, I'm speaking about a, a, a comedy troupe that you and I were in for a long yes. time. Yes, yes. No black women. Ever. Ever.
2: No scene with two black men talking to each other. No
0: scene with two black men talking to each other. Until I wrote it. Interesting. Interesting. From that perspective, mm-hmm. I think to myself, like I think about that time, and I think about writing for you or writing for the women there and, you know, people that, I feel like everybody was included, but, but there, were, there were exceptions. I feel like there could have been a better job done. I concur. But how do you feel about that?
2: Well, as far as the uh, the way the diversity played out in the comedy troupe that we worked on, yeah, I agree that it uh, it could have left a better aftertaste. You really? Know, I, yeah, I felt with with respect to the the things that I participated in, I I felt like a lot of black actors do when they are the lone minority. Mm-hmm. I felt the responsibility of my race. Sure. I felt like I couldn't be seen cooning, buffooning, shucking and jiving in anything yeah. on stage. Right. If it was presented to me, I had to manage that as, as an actor and as a person. Yeah. And that led to the creative exchange, which, you know, is like, do we really need this? You know, do did we you, not need this?
0: Did you bring that up a lot?
2: Oh, certainly. I mean, I wasn't privy certainly. to some of the. Those no, I, I had to. I yeah. had to. It's, it's my responsibility. Yes. You know, as a, as a person. You know, right. representing myself right. foremost. But then also knowing, as we talked about, some people's, the only thing they'll come to know about another race is their limited interaction with art. Right. And so if someone's driving up from a neighborhood where they don't have very many black, or they don't have very many women, or they don't have very many Latinos, mm-hmm. they don't have very many Asians, and they're coming to see our show, and if our show... Is painting us in the same pictures as they've seen and heard yeah. for years and years. Then, then who are we?
0: Right. What are we doing? Yeah. You know. Yeah. I think. I think from 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 my point of view in that situation, I wish I had been thinking about these things desperately. Think. Wish that I had been.
2: Right. Yeah. Well, I was. I was the unfortunate on the unfortunate end of of uh, something involving that you know particular show where you know there was a traveling opportunity. For the group and and i didn't I didn't go, I wasn't able to go
0: to aspen correct wait, so hold on i'm if you don't mind i mean we can yeah this out. I,
2: I i i didn't go i didn't go and and i it's it it
0: was it was it because you weren't asked to go
2: i just i guess I wasn't in enough of the pieces of things that to were go. going yeah
0: mm. which boy
2: you know it was like. You know, it was one of those things. Man. It was like, that's what happens to black people. Though. Yeah, no. You I, know, I'll play this role for you in the reading. Yeah. I'll play the role yeah, for right. you on stage. I'll play the role for you up until it's time for you to go ahead and take the role and do and do something with it and let everybody else see it. Fuck me. Yeah, it was kind of whack.
0: That sucks. It was whack,
2: but you know what? I had to take a professional L.
0: Well, yeah. Mm. I mean, I get that. I get that. 1st
2: not, not the not last. Right. It wasn't my first nor my last. Right. But in consideration of those things. Yes. When you have a predominantly white or non-ethnic cast. Yeah. And you do have one person who's clearly different.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, that's why I say the default. The default.
0: That's really rough for me to hear, James. Sorry to have to break it to no, you. And I, no, but I, I mean, no, I, I don't mean like don't. Hopefully, uh, <laughs> uh,
2: my professional comportment. In the years since has demonstrated my ability to withstand.
0: For sure. I, I mean, just from a from a personal mm-hmm. standpoint, mm-hmm. I But this is what happens a lot I, of
2: times. Right. You know, it's it's a it's a microcosm of what happens to the race. Oh man. To that, if I were to say something, Yes. I'm defensive, right? Right. See? And then I'm and then it's all those things. I'm not allowed right. to feel the burn. I have to just be burned.
0: Right. Yeah.
2: That's why it's important to not be angry because I couldn't be included in something that someone else was doing. Sure. You have to make your own thing.
0: You yeah. Know?
2: You have to just, you have to make your own. You know, it's uh, it's something that those of the Jewish faith have prided themselves on. Right. Or at least the, uh, the observers of them in that they really take care of their own. Yeah. They really take care of their own.
0: Well, how do you feel then within the African-American community, Mm -hmm. and taking care of your own. Something that we talked about Mm. last time was crabs in a barrel.
1: Hi, this is Vidal, and I'm just jumping in to explain a little bit more of the reference of crab in the barrel. Really kind of goes to a mentality that's referred to as crabs in a bucket, barrel, basket, or pot. It's a way of thinking that's best described by the phrase, if I can't have it, neither can you. Uh, It's the metaphor refers to a bucket of crabs, but basically it's, you know, there are spots available. And if I'm in, I'm trying to make sure those spots are not available to you. And it's a pretty piss poor way of living your life. But back to the podcast.
0: What I thought was really interesting was you had looked at me and you had said, no white crabs in a barrel. Hmm. right? Right. And, and it's funny because I stopped and I went and I said, no. And what I was thinking in my head was, I've been in that situation with women at work.
2: I can dig that. You're a minority. Right. It's a minority conundrum. Right. It's a minority situation because yes. we we're all starving for what seems to be a very limited opportunity. Right. When for some opportunities are endless and vast. Mm-hmm. You guys have the glass ceiling. Right. We've had forty acres and a mule that we're waiting on. Right. You know. We have more in common than you think. I think... Oh, I believe it. I think America now has black people problems. Hillary Clinton. The most qualified woman to ever run for the head office. Yeah. Popular opinion said she was the right one. But this antiquated system denied the truth of how we feel as people.
0: Do you feel like... I'll t- let, me just tell you, let me just tell you something I've been thinking since mm-hmm. the election. I've been thinking, oh, fuck.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a, a. Good one, Right?
0: <laughs> I've been thinking, you know, there's a clear picture of rights being denied, mm. right? There's a clear picture, I think, in my head and I think in some other white people's heads all of a sudden about rights being denied and i'm not talking about as a woman because as a woman i've seen my rights being denied as a white person right don't look so cut and dry right mm-hmm. and then i've been thinking well shit this is how some people in this country have felt their whole lives over you know 200 years mm-hmm. so let's not fall apart yeah but i don't know but i you know so so i guess what i'm saying is. I wonder if people are going to wake up a little bit and start to understand a little bit more. I don't know.
2: Absolutely. People are going to wake up. Mm -hmm. They are going to understand. Right. I would liken it to when you're in conversation with someone who tells you something terrible that happened to them. Yes. And it reminds you of something terrible that happened to you. And you get the me too in them. Yeah. So it won't be... The feeling for exactly what it is, it'll be the feeling for what it felt like to me. I understand. Right. I can relate to that. Right. That's why I say America is now waking up to the problems of black America. You guys are feeling it now. America's up in arms. The way black America has been up in arms. America is echoing the sentiments of black people for generations.
0: Right.
2: White Americans are looking at this president going, I can't believe this. You know? Welcome to the party. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. And so now, now, and that's what makes me feel like, yeah, now you you can hear me. Mm
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Now you can hear me.
0: Do you feel like white people are hearing you more? Absolutely. 100%. Yes. Yeah.
2: Yes. Because they're living in black people problems. Right. They don't know how to describe these problems that they're having right now. What do you call, I don't know what the hell's going on. She, Hillary lost. I don't know what the hell go, it's black people problems. This is what it has felt like to be black in America for all this time, where you look ahead, you look at the road ahead. America's looking at these next four years and they can't see crap. They can't. They can't see the forest beyond the trees. Yep. They just cannot. This is the despair of most minorities. I won't say it's just uh Black America. Sure. This is this is that despair. And that's why I feel like okay, well now white America's really going to start to help. Because they want they really want some significant
0: change as well. Do you think that this Well, I mean you've already said it like I I I I feel like I I definitely feel like well, I would say this since since Trayvon Martin's death, it was a triggering moment that woke me up. That made me go like, I gotta re. I would. This is, I gotta reconsider everything. Right. Hi, this is Megan, and I'm just jumping in to give you a little bit of information about Trayvon Martin, who you just heard me mention. On February 26, 2012, Trayvon Martin, a 17-year-old African American teenage boy. Uh, was killed by George Zimmerman, an armed security guard in a gated community in Sanford, Florida. Trayvon Martin's father was visiting his fiancé there, and Trayvon was about 70 feet away from the house where his father and his father's fiancé were. When George Zimmerman reported to the police that he had spotted an individual that he had taken note of, uh, that individual being Trayvon, the police told him that they would come investigate and not to follow up. Uh, George Zimmerman followed up and consequently ended up shooting Trayvon Martin. The facts in the case are sometimes disputed. There are different recollections from different witnesses, but the basic facts remained that an armed security guard shot a 17-year-old boy within feet of the house that he was visiting, an unarmed 17-year-old boy. So George Zimmerman was, was arrested, he was prosecuted, but he was eventually acquitted. Uh, if you want to read up more about this, you can obviously Google it. I mean, every media outlet in the country reported on it. So take the time to find out more about Trayvon Martin. He would have been 22 years old on Sunday, this past Sunday, Super Bowl Sunday. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, back to our podcast. And I'm ashamed that it took until then to, uh, put that in the forefront of my mind in some ways. In, I would say in my adult life. Not, not in my whole life, but in my adult life. In my, in my, when I can do something about it. like yeah. yeah. I really do feel like all of a sudden in this year, and, and in pre-election, pre-election, but because of the impending fear Mm -hmm. of this, that all of a sudden I'm, you know, I'm able to have conversations with other white people that are a hundred times more productive than conversations I've had in years past. But I, and so I don't know if that's like, it's like, does that, there's part of me that's like, ah, that bums me out. Like, why couldn't we talk about this? But at the same time, having that level of vulnerability on an individual basis and a, and a collective basis isn't the worst thing in the world i
2: agree i, I think that ideology is is a big step toward uh, toward change
1: yeah you
0: know, I, I hope really,
1: so really hi this is vidal co-host of the humankind podcast asking you to subscribe to us on itunes and rate us you can also find us online at www humankindpodcast.com. Donate, find us on social media, and help us spread the word. Now back to the conversation.
2: Do you clutch your purse in the elevator? With if, if you see yeah. You like see a it. black guy? Yeah.
0: No. No? No, and I never have. It, it, that's an interesting question because mm-hmm. my grandmother in particular was very, n- not just anti-racism, but very pro-black.
2: I heard that.
0: And wasn't having it mm-hmm. in her home. Nice. My mother and my father, I tell this story and then I asked my mom about it the other day and she was like, I don't remember any of that, but okay. okay. Mm-hmm. But I do. I really do. Mm-hmm. I, I can remember um, being taken to task at about three or four mm-hmm. for repeating something that I'd heard on the playground to my mom about a black kid. Mm-hmm. And my mom and my dad uh, very seriously sitting me down and letting me have it about about race and letting me have it about getting a very, a a very basic succinct history of what this was about and why this, what this other kid said was wrong. And so I think in some ways as a kid, I was, I mean, I was on like the racism prowl. Mm -hmm. Like I I lived in the South and man, I would fucking call it out everywhere. I saw it Mm -hmm. like two people's faces, which People really love from kids, by the way. They right. they love to be called out by a kid. <laughs> awesome. Black, white, Asian right. doesn't matter. Love for a kid to come up and just be real precocious okay, right. with what they believe in, and I saw how that went over. But anyway, to to your to your point, do I clutch my purse? No, and I actually never have. But I know that that is not common. Mm-hmm. I I, under, I I do understand that. Uh,
2: that's the that's the logically uh, that's the old school reaction to uh e- yes but uh i think we we deal today with more subtle
0: 100% subtle things
2: so uh have you found as an adult yes in your casual conversation with your friends and acquaintances ha- have you found that any of them use racial stereotypes in reference to other races when uh, talking to you
0: yes mm-hmm. and i have it's interesting i i I had a, because this is a, this is a this is a conversation that happens amongst white liberals quite often, especially women. This conversation, could you bring a black guy home, mm. right? So that's that's the conversation. So that is awesome.
2: I would love to be a fly on a white liberal women's meeting. <laughs> <Whoa>. <laughs>
0: Well, could you, you know, and the a black fly
2: is, too. I would be <laughs> just a big old juicy black fly in the corner.
0: Well, the question is, would your family be accepting of that? Right, right? is that something that that would be okay with with your family? And I can remember asking somebody that question. She kind of discussed what her kind of her 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 mom being liberal or liberal or, or something, and I was like, okay, could you bring a black dude home? Would that be cool? And her answer very innocently was. Uh you know, I don't know. Like with the baggy jeans and the right, uh, you know, and the and I was like, I I didn't ask you if you were gonna like bring home
2: Right, right. Too sure. Yeah, exactly. I was yeah. like, I
0: didn't ask if you were bring home Snoop Dogg. Mm. I said like a black guy. Yeah. So I think it's interesting because you're right. It's this micro, it, it's, you know, it's this, it's, it's this subtle, yeah, it's, yeah, but it's, like, this subtle, like, in her head, that is what bringing a black guy home is, and in my head, when I was asking her the question, I didn't have a type of person, gotcha. I, I I was asking if her mom would be accepting of of that, so, you know, I I laughed really hard when she said it, and she was like, what? And I was like, you do know.
2: <laughs> Did you hear yourself talking?
0: Do you hear yourself talking? Right. So. So yes, definitely. Mm-hmm. And I have tried to, in my adult life, call it out with humor and call it out with like, not the question I asked you actually, right. but okay. Right. But one thing I do have regrets about in, in the world of being a white person around other white people who bring up race in subtle or not so subtle derogatory, you know, derogatory ways, is I think that for my generation as a white person in the South, we all have the racist great aunt, mm. or the, the, the person who comes over at, at Christmas. I mean, I think every family, whatever race they are, has mm. like the older generation who just has ideas that you don't agree with. And so many times I have laughed that off as preposterous mm. as opposed to dealing with it head on. As, as opposed to, not when I was a kid, because I'd call everybody out, gotcha. but as an adult, <laughs> being like they're gonna be dead soon it doesn't matter right and I was I don't think that was right I think I think that in if there's something that I regret in my Mm. dealings with race as a white person I think you know that whole idea of like sitting on the sitting on the couch and watching Samantha B and Mm. laughing uproariously at the ridiculousness (laughs) of when you know I'm fully understanding now that that is um Quite the privilege mm-hmm. that I have, mm-hmm. that I've been able to just think, mm-hmm. yeah, ridiculous. That's pr- how could you think like that? Yeah. In retrospect, in twenty twenty hindsight, it's not funny.
2: It's not. I can harken back to conversations with with the older aunts and uncles in, in my family when I was, you know, a younger guy. And <clears throat> excuse me, hearing references. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean that. That was a the thing. There were spicks. there mm-hmm. were chinks, there were niggas, there were wops, there were, you know, there was a, a cacophony right. of, of names that had nothing to do with who these people really were. Of course. You know, um, one thing I, I've found particularly interesting over time, and I, like you, would, would take my family to task, mm-hmm. uh, especially since I just prided myself on being a bit more worldly mm-hmm. and accepting, even. Right. You know, of just uh, who other people are, and maybe that's my connection as an artist to allow other people to embody me, right. you know, or myself to embody other people. But uh, what I found uh, interesting as I got older is that a lot of these African Americans feel entitled to huh. their own negative stereotypical opinions. Interesting, and I I think it's because they feel like, well, I've been called a a, a, a nigger, mm-hmm. so I'm gonna refer to whoever as as whatever, right? You know? um, and then I've also had that same experience where it wasn't necessarily derogatory; it was just a point of reference, right? You know, I went to the store. This white man told me to boo boo boo. Very simple, but it's clearly you're identifying the man's race. It wasn't just a man. Sure. Told me, you know. Sure. Um, and so it, it's. I think we still do that though, even casually in the most non-offensive way. We refer to each other. By our, by our race. There's. Look at this white guy over here. Look at this. It, you know.
0: It. You know. It's funny. I, that. That's something. I'm trying to. <laughs> <laughs> that's something I'm trying to. And you've got kids older than me, so help me out.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Or older than mine. Identif- identification based on skin color seems unsafe to me. Just because of that. Because mm-hmm. if 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 um. Uh, I don't know. I've been. I've been. I've been try. I've been like. Let's start with. What is this person wearing? What does this person look like? Is this person male or female? Mm-hmm. Let's. Let's talk about this. I, I don't want to ignore that someone's black or white or right. Asian or you know. But I feel like. I don't know. I feel like there's something to it, and then I feel like well. I don't know. Anything right. you've you've talked to your kids about in Certainly. terms of race?
2: I've had to be. I. Started talking to my kids pretty early Yeah. Uh, about race because they are mixed race. Mm-hmm. Their mom is white, Canadian, mm-hmm. and I'm me, I'm right. black, and uh, and they're beige. Mm-hmm. My kids are beige, and I think that's the future of the world. There's just going to be a beige world at some point, and nobody's white's going to be able to complain about anything. Nobody black is going to be able to complain. We're all just going to be beige. Right. But you know, they they relate to both sides of themselves and 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 love both sides of themselves equally, which is and, great. You talk about the things we can learn from the mouths of babes. It's self-love. Love who you are. Mm-hmm. And if you find out that you're both black and white, then just love yourself wholly. You know. And in in reference to other other people, they actually don't use the term black. That's a he's brown.
0: Yeah, he's brown. Right. Right. They yeah. don't
2: refer to me as is black. I'm brown.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You know. Uh, and so black. Really, if 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 we were to go further back into what black is, black is the most extreme of non-white.
0: You right, know?
2: It, it's the most extreme non and so they don't relate in that way. Sure, you know, and and they accept everybody
0: equally. Yes, I would
2: have to say. Uh, they have black family members. They mm-hmm. have white family members. They go to school with Indian children mm-hmm. and Asian children and Latinos. Yeah. You know? and, and it's important to, especially at this stage, we need to get them while they're young and they don't have these biases. Another kid is just another kid. Right. And if they can grow up just seeing people as people, mm-hmm. just in the same way that you said, not as the black kid or the, or the colored anything.
0: Yeah. Well, that going we uh, way. I need him to identify the individual.
2: My son does know he's a black man, though.
0: Well, that's what I'm saying. Absolutely, is, is that's where no, I, that's he
2: knows he's a black man.
0: That's where my and that's, that's what
2: I tell my spouse. Yes, you're raising a black man, right? He's not going to get these little white boy passes. He's not going to get these white man passes.
0: And it's something my she's daughter probably similarly familiar. is not yeah. going to
2: get that. God, like you yeah. know, son, you're a black man. Right. I will build you with the strength and countenance of being a black man, and you'll be all right.
0: Yeah, yeah, and that's that is where I. That's that is exactly where the you Just
2: gotta raise your son to be a black man.
0: <laughs> Working on it. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> awesome.
1: Awesome. Probably ain't used to real life shit a rapper speaking that truth to you. I illustrate the words like third block, my eyes burning like
0: grease drips on the stove top. Welcome back.
1: So so <clears throat> wow, what a different familiar. It's a tough word. I, I have familiarity, 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 familiarity. Yeah. familiarity. Um, it gives the conversational tone. It's different,
0: right. right? Well, so so let me let me.
1: So not strangers. This conversation is so. Listening, Megan, I have to tell you, um, because I know you, yeah, I get a chance to sit across from you and have these kind yeah. of conversations. I can even now, in your voice, I can hear surprise and shock when you hear, even in your thought bubbles, it feels like I can, I can hear that dramatic pause. <laughs> um, yeah. And I felt that there was a couple moments uh, in your conversation with James, because of your history and your working mm-hmm. and history, that there was some literal, almost a gasp.
0: Mm, yeah. I, I, uh, James and I have worked together on various projects my entire adult life, actually, and I'm frustrated with myself and a little bit sad to uh, have not recognized uh, the social implications of what was going on in some of those some of those scenarios. And um, James is a hard worker first of all. He's just a fucking he's a great actor and he's a great comedian. yeah and he's
1: uh, old a shot.
0: Yeah. I mean, he's to say the least, somebody's own a shot. It's definitely James. He's getting his shot. I understand that. Um, I'm sad that I wasn't recognizing-
1: The struggle? His,
0: his experience as right. it stood at the time. Not that I could have necessarily done yeah. anything about it, but right. I could have tried.
1: Now, yeah, that's uh you know, we are in a very different time. Um, I think we were very much, you know, when you're trying to grow your career, mm-hmm. um, I'm kind of assuming your situation, you're a woman new, building a career, fresh to California, wanna make this impact mm-hmm. into acting world. And there's a bit of a possible tunnel vision that occurs. Oh a
0: hundred percent. And I and I and it's not um not for lack of uh empathy. If if I had if I had recognized at the time what really was happening right if my eyes had been open to that right. i would have had a different take and i would have right. had a different approach i think right specifically in the position that i was in in that troop yeah but i didn't and i did have tunnel vision and i think as any 20 something year old you're right just you know trying to make it and trying to fucking yeah. hoof it through the next day and get on stage and do what you do um yeah, that that you're blind to some of those things. Yeah,
1: I mean, I, the comedy, the world and the space that you guys are in, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of um, the Second City mm-hmm. um, troops. I'm thinking of the brigades that are here,
0: right? Upright Citizens Brigade, in, Groundlings in
1: L. A. Yeah, I'm thinking about all the little. I think I've come to. I, I think I've come to see your troop perform. Uh, You had a troupe that you were performing with. Oh, I think with some other women. Yeah. Yep. And it was pretty cool. You guys did even, I think you did a Ghostbusters kind of spoof, if I remember correctly, even before the movie.
0: Uh, Maybe. I don't know. It's possible.
1: So the the point I was trying to make in it was, in that question was, I don't remember seeing a whole lot of black women. No. And, and, and And that came up. Yep. In your... In your experience, and I wanted to ask, and I was going to frame, it was a question. Yes. Why, Megan? Why aren't there, I know a ton of black funny women. Mm -hmm. Why aren't black women given an opportunity to share not only the writing opportunities, Mm -hmm. um, but the acting and the back and forth opportunities? Uh, And the one thing that keeps coming to my head um, is the stereotype of the difficulties that people have in working with black women.
0: Mm. Uh, right. Okay. Okay. So the stereotype that people have difficulty with. So, okay. So I'm going to speak from my own experience. And that is my experience has not been casting these things thus far. Now, that puts me in exactly the same position as uh, everybody that I've been talking about so far. So, uh, when it comes to the workplace, right? So, those women that you saw me perform with or women yeah. that I've been performing with since I was a kid, right? So they're my friends, quote, unquote. Right. They asked me, you know, they asked to get out together and do this,
1: yeah. quote, unquote. that's your gang.
0: Yeah. And um, so not even in the thought process.
2: Gotcha. Now, it's
0: interesting that, that this comes up now because... I now can't imagine moving forward writing anything without Black women involved.
1: Yeah, you're kind of down, Megan, and, and, and that's, uh, I couldn't be prouder to have you understand the plight of people. I couldn't be happier to be involved in a project where we're really understanding, and it's becoming clearer. Yeah. The haze of our own life is kind of focusing on a better life. And that better life includes all people. Yes. Simply. Yes. It's an inclusive situation, and it's not really going backwards. We're yeah. not moonwalking back to segregation. Whatever you might think, as James said, the world is brownie.
0: It's so true.
1: So uh, there will always be the powers that be... But the humanity, the humanity of people is evolving into a consciousness that we've never seen. Mm. And that's a good, good thing. We really do need to clear our vision.
0: Yep.
1: Understand that the world exists way outside of our windows and our peripherals. And that we care enough to engage what we don't understand for the sake of understanding. So... Here, here. Um, I'm gonna not, what was your thought about being a guest on your own podcast? It's really was hard. That?
0: It was really, um... I'm glad I had the experience. I'm really glad I had the experience.
1: If we had thought about doing this all on our own in the very beginning, and uh, so it wasn't too hard to kind of flip to the expectation that one of us might be a guest
0: yeah. this
1: season, but I'm glad it was you and not me. <laughs> Maybe you guys. Thanks, will, dude. Yeah, no worries. Maybe you guys will catch me on something else later on.
0: Because I've known James for so long, right? So I feel comfortable with James. I feel comfortable talking to James. I feel comfortable asking James questions. So in some ways, not exactly the same experience, but um, almost in some ways a little more emotional. I.
1: Yeah, I think you guys. Uh, and and the good thing about this episode for me was, a from a professional standpoint, it's what we do. Hmm so the context of the movements around uh the professional entertainment circles comedy and mm-hmm. acting and showing up for roles and james's ability to continue to move while feeling these atrocious burns yeah. throughout his career totally and just to let you know most in this uh realm f- wilt they can't make it mm-hmm. um the psychosis of of the beatdown is too much. Yeah. And and now you have to kind of appreciate, and I get a chance to appreciate James on a whole nother level because I know it. I know exactly what he's talking about. I can I haven't gone through those exact professional experiences, but I can commiserate on a level that I feel is comfortable with his experience.
0: I bet. Yep. And
1: and I thought that was really great for him to share. Now, it's kind of tough for you to learn it right then and there of his actual experiences since you guys worked in the same organization, but it's 2017, 2018, 2019. Yeah. It's time for us to get... Absolutely. Rip the scab off.
0: Yes, definitely. And I also think that um, hearing of that experience 20 years later, while I'm sad, like I said, that I can't go back and and change and do what I can for it. Right. Um, I'm not... I'm I'm thankful that I've been told about it, yeah. Because it's
1: it's uh, yeah. It's now you're making decisions that yep. better serve you with all of the information that you can have,
0: and hopefully somebody like James. So
1: yep. yep. All right. Okay. We're getting close to binge season. Binge season. All the episodes of the Humankind, all back twelve, back. back to back. Hours of entertainment. They're coming. They're coming. We're getting there. Um, and we really, really appreciate this run. We have a big future ahead for this podcast series. We have great ideas. Um, we're working so hard to make this a quality podcast experience for the listener. We know where we want to be.
0: And if you guys have ideas, let us know. Yeah. Let us know. We want to hear about it.
1: Yeah. If you also have some money, you want to <laughs> donate uh, to get these seasons going. Season two in particular is our next um, endeavor together. Um Please donate. Hit the subscribe button. Yep. Uh, be a participant. Great.
0: listen, subscribe. Yep. And comment. We thank you. Thanks so much. And uh, as always, uh, we are sponsored by Delicious Pizza in the West Adams District of Los Angeles on West Adams and also on Sunset Boulevard in the
1: heart of West
0: Hollywood.
1: Rick and Mike Ross. Yes. Thanks, guys.
0: Thanks. Have a good one. Today's episode was produced by Allegory Media Foundation, Eighth Wonder Media, Vidal Marsh, Catherine Brown, and myself, Megan Perry. And it was edited by John Costello.
1: Thanks again to Bishop Kumat for letting us use his great song, Dream Big, off his new album, <laughs> The like Reformation.